help us get into our message this morning. I'd like to poll the audience, and I promise as I do, I'm not trying to set you up. First question is, how many of you here today know that you should read your Bible every day? Okay, anybody would recognize that? Yeah, lots of people, okay. All right, second question. How many of you understand that you should share the story of Jesus with others? Any, anybody? Would, yeah, recognize, okay, good, good. All right, now don't raise your hand for the third question. Again, I'm not trying to set you up. Third question is, how many of you did that this week? How many of you read your Bible every day? And how many of you took time to share the story of Jesus? I'd guess a lot of people in this room probably did not. So the question is, why? You know, so many people raising their hands, acknowledging that they should do it, it tells me we don't have a knowledge problem. What I suspect is, is we have an adoration problem. We know what we should do, but we fall short because we do not fully or truly adore Christ. Often we wind up adoring our homes, our cars, our family, our reputation, our knowledge of the Bible, our social status, our involvement at church. We have misplaced affections. But to find the abundant life Jesus promises, to live like it matters, We must adore Christ. Our affections must rest in him. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. It's one of the richest passages of the New Testament. It lays out what it means to truly follow Jesus. In this passage, Paul talks about the shortcomings of a life lived for what this world has to offer. He says it is all loss when compared with Christ. You see, I want my life to count. I want your life to count. I want to live like it matters, and I desperately want this for you as well. We're going to be reading the first 14 verses, and what we're going to find in these verses is that living for Jesus is better than living for this world. Reading from Philippians 3, verses 1 to 14. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. This is really where it all starts. It starts with rejoicing in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. These are the very words of God. What I want to do in the first sermon of this series is define what the it is. To define what living like it matters is all about. In other words, what are we living for? What is the it that is defining your life right now? What matters to you? And the question is, will it measure up next to eternity? So let's dive in. Living for Jesus is better than living for this world because the treasures this world has to offer will leave you feeling empty. One of the challenges that Paul worked to address in the early church was the issue of circumcision. The question is, did those who followed Jesus need to be circumcised? Paul said no. The Judaizers, as Paul referred to them, thought yes. The Judaizers were Jewish Christians, or at least they claimed to be Christians. But their practice was to go into situations where Gentiles were coming to faith and tell them everything they needed to do in order to become Christians. But in doing this, they were inhibiting Gentiles from coming to faith because they were putting all these rules and regulations on them. Now, before we talk too poorly of the Judaizers, let us examine and see if we don't do the same thing sometimes. If someone from the community walks in here and they don't look like everyone else, I hope we don't look down on them. I hope we don't start telling them everything we think they need to do to become a Christian. Our job is to turn people to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to work in their life. That's it. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.16 that when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. We're to be turning people to Jesus. So our job, be Jesus. Help people see him. His job, allow the Holy Spirit to begin to make them new from the inside out. Coming back to Paul and the Judaizers, the bigger problem is this matter had already been settled by the Jerusalem Council back in Acts 15, 28 and 29. Some were arguing the need for circumcision, but here's what the council concludes. Here's what they say. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. These are the requirements the Jerusalem Council stated. So Paul, at this point, he's frustrated. He has dealt with these people on several occasions. The matter is resolved by the council, and they just won't quit. 
Sounds like an issue with authority to me. So at this point, Paul's referring to them as dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. Calling a Jew a dog is about the worst thing you could do to refer to them as. So major insult recorded in Scripture. And Paul lays out following Jesus is, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's nothing you or I can do to be made right with God. Only Jesus can do it by grace, through faith. And our souls, they long to be in a right relationship with our creator. And it comes by grace, through faith. If you are not in a right relationship with God, you turn to the world and its treasures to fill this void. Yet there is nothing in this world that will satisfy the longing you have to experience joy and happiness. You see, we were made to worship God created us this way. He created a longing within our souls to desire him as our creator. A desire to experience joy and happiness in him. You were made to find satisfaction in God. So the question is, what will you worship? Where will you find the satisfaction your soul longs for? The American dream, perhaps? Getting married? Finding a good job? A nice home, a solid car? Having kids, a retirement fund? None of these things are bad. But the question is, do they consume you? A.W. Tozer in The Pursuit of God. He explains that before God made man upon earth, he first prepared a world of useful and pleasant things, as Genesis labels them, for his sustenance and delight. But when evil entered the world, it introduced complications and has made those very gifts of God a potential source of ruin to the soul. God was forced out of his central place in our lives, and things were allowed to enter within the human heart. Things have taken over. The result? People have now by nature no peace within their hearts, for God is crowned there no longer. Shelly and I were asked to run a school in Khartoum, Sudan. We knew we needed to get rid of our house in Chicago, our cars, our furniture, all of our stuff. And I can not begin to tell you how liberating it was to get rid of everything we owned. That may sound crazy to some of you, but I'm telling you, there is freedom in letting things go to not let them own you. And not that things had taken over in our lives, but getting rid of stuff definitely made us feel lighter. We just weren't bogged down with stuff any longer. Now we just closed on a house in uh, the last couple of weeks. People helped us move our things into our house. So I'm not knocking possessions, but the question is, what is central in your life? And here's the key. Here's what you need to figure out. Do you own your things or do they own you? This is a picture of the car we owned in Jerusalem. A Volkswagen Turan. It was a great car. Uh, you can't get them here in the U.S. They are kind of a cross between a station wagon and a minivan, smaller than a minivan, bigger than a station wagon, can seat seven people. It was a great car for us. We 
ran all around the country of Israel in it. We brought Lucas home from the hospital in this car. So we have some fun memories of, of the journeys that we had together the last four years in it. And when I left, I gave the keys to some friends, letting, telling them, use this while we're away. We don't want it just sitting there. And so a couple of weeks before I came to speak here in November, I was traveling with Nate. I spoke at a church in Oregon, was driving north for some meetings with pastors in Seattle. Got an email from my friend who explained and began to walk through and, and, and began to share with me that our car had been firebombed. So here's a picture of that car now. So this is the current state of our car in Jerusalem. Now, I, I laughed when I, I saw it. At first, I thought he was messing with me. And then I, I saw, of course, the picture. And uh, I laughed. I have to admit, initially when I saw it, you know, we were headed this direction. We knew in our hearts this is what God had for us to come and do. And I told God, I said, now, God didn't have to blow up our car to send us to West Lafayette. Uh, I didn't really look at it as a sign from God that we weren't supposed to go back. Um, but it was funny considering our transition. But, you know, this is what will happen to everything in this world. One day, it all becomes garbage. It's empty. There's no lasting happiness and joy there. If you have pursued the American dream and found it lacking, you are not alone. In fact, you're in good company. You are not meant to find fulfillment there. To live like it matters does not mean you live like your car matters, your house matters, your retirement account matters, your smartphone matters, your Apple Watch matters. These things will not make your life count. They are not the it that will make your life matter. They become treasures of a wasted life. The treasures this world has to offer will leave you feeling empty. Because nothing in this world can make your life matter for eternity. Living for Jesus is better than living for this world because nothing in this world can make your life matter for eternity. In the passage we read this morning, Paul runs through this incredible list of things that he could boast about. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This list includes things that he received, maybe by birth. He didn't work for it, but it also includes things that he achieved. He runs through this list and then declares, I count everything as loss. If we look closely at this list, compared to how we measure things today, we come up with an interesting conclusion. David Platt summarizes this list well. Here's what he breaks it down as. The first one is family heritage. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, which was a very important tribe. It gave Israel their first king, Saul. And what was Paul's name before he decided to follow Jesus? Saul, that's right. So he was named after the first king of Israel that came from his tribe. So he's got family heritage. The other thing is social status. Again, tribe of Benjamin, which included the land that contained Jerusalem, where the temple was located. That's some serious social standing. Next is, third thing, Bible knowledge, a Pharisee. Now, many of us read about the Pharisees, and we have a very negative impression of them. Jesus called them out on a lot of things, and, and deservedly so. 
But what you need to understand is that these guys were very well respected in their day. They knew the law backwards and forwards. And so did Paul. Not all Pharisees were bad people. They knew the Bible well. Next category is religious activity. A persecutor of the church, Paul was a zealous member of Judaism. So zealous, he went out persecuting the church. The last category, a moral lifestyle. A blameless life, he followed the rules and rituals he was supposed to follow. So here's a list. Family heritage, social status, biblical knowledge, religious activity, and a moral lifestyle. Look at that list for a minute. Does anything stand out to you? What do those five things have in common? If we're honest, every single one of those things are good. Family heritage, that's not bad. Social status, not bad. Now, it can be corrupted, of course, but really, in and of itself, it's not a bad thing. Biblical knowledge, great. Religious activity, all right. A moral lifestyle, good stuff. All good things. So here's the point. It wasn't bad things that were keeping Paul from Jesus. It was actually good things. Paul is telling us it's possible to love your family. To take your family to church and have a good reputation in your community. To have biblical knowledge, to be actively involved in your church and be a a good moral person, and then come to the end of your life and realize none of it mattered. Think about that for a moment. Consider this. You can be a good person, come to the end of your life, and realize none of it mattered. This list, family heritage, Social status, biblical knowledge, religious activity, and a moral lifestyle is not the it that will make your life matter. They become treasures of a wasted life. Nothing this life has to offer will make your life count for eternity. Possessions, family heritage, social status, biblical knowledge, religious activity, a moral lifestyle all fall short. Living for Jesus is better than living for this world because Christ provides life everlasting. Paul runs through this list of birthrights and accomplishments and concludes, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Christ is so much better than everything else that the loss of everything for the gain of him is infinitely worth it. And in the same way, to have everything else and to not have Jesus makes everything else empty, makes everything dry. You know this to be true. Without Jesus, we're stuck on a treadmill, going, 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 but headed nowhere. From your earliest memory, you were waiting for the next thing. You couldn't wait to get to high school. You couldn't wait to drive a car. You couldn't wait to get into college. You couldn't wait to get married. You couldn't wait to get your first job. You couldn't wait to have kids. Couldn't wait for those kids to leave your house. Your whole life 
becomes marked with what's next, what's next, what's next. It's driven by a deep-rooted dissatisfaction at the soul level because only Jesus can fill the hole of eternity. A love for Jesus drives all of this. The it is Jesus. To live like it matters is to live like Jesus matters. He's it. He's our treasure. God is looking for a people who are not interested in simply adding him to their lives, but allowing Jesus to be the source of their lives. He loves all people, but he wants people who are dedicated to him. It's not our possessions in Jesus. It's not our families in Jesus. It's not our reputations in Jesus. It's not our Bible knowledge in Jesus. It's simply Jesus. Paul runs through the next several verses and keeps reiterating this message. I want his righteousness. I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to be like him. I adore Christ. He is my prize. Jesus Christ is our treasure of abundant joy. We take everything else in this life and right across it, loss without him. Everyone, everything. Our family heritage, our reputation, our knowledge, our church activities, our morality. Loss, loss, loss. He goes so far to say as it is rubbish. The Bible translators were kind when translating this verse because the actual Greek term means dung. That's right. It's Sunday morning, and I said dung. So Paul said, I count it all as dung, cow pie, excrement. You know, so many young families in our church, I think the best translation for our crowd might be dirty diapers. I count it all as dirty diapers when compared with Jesus. Now, if you're here and it's been a while since you've changed a diaper, maybe it's been some years, or, or maybe you haven't had the joy of that experience yet, I have a short video to, to play so that you can be reminded or to be shown what a joy that is. I appreciate the guy in the hazmat suit the best. Some years ago, there was a man who served God, who served Jesus overseas, and had been very successful in sharing Jesus everywhere he went. 
He was given all kinds of awards and acclamations, had earned several degrees, and been quite successful in the eyes of this world. And when he died, many attended his funeral. And when his family was clearing out his office, they noticed a fat file in the cabinet with the label dung. This man had a dung file. And so curious, of course, they took the file out, they opened it up to find all of his university degrees, his awards, and life acclamations. He considered them all as refuse, as dirty diapers in comparison to knowing and experiencing Jesus. May we live like this, because unfortunately most of the world is not. Most Christians are not, and yet this is our calling as those who follow Jesus. This morning, there are thousands upon thousands of people sitting in chairs much like these. They've brought their families to church like their parents did for them. They're nicely dressed with nice cars in the parking lot and nice homes to return to. They think they're living like it matters. Only they have a sense of emptiness, a void that they can't fill because they have yet to find Jesus as their treasure. They have yet crossed the line to truly adoring him and him alone. People who have good reputations, busy volunteering at church, have knowledge of the Bible, living a good moral lifestyle. But we must get past the rubbish. Do you really know Christ? Here's what Philippians 3 tells me. Me personally, it is possible for me to come to the end of my life, preaching every week, leading our family well, and being zealous for religion in the middle of it all, have it count for nothing. I don't want to come to the end of my life and find out none of it mattered. I want to come to the end of my life and see that all things have been counted as lost because Jesus is my treasure. We as a church could walk through the next 20, 30, 40 years and do some great things and at the end find out none of it really mattered. But I want our church to count for his glory on the landscape of human history. This happens when people commit to count everything as loss when compared with knowing the surpassing greatness of Christ Jesus as Lord. Do you know him? Is he your treasure? Do you adore him so much that everything else in your life pales in comparison to him? Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. Somewhere along the way, we have forgotten what it means to follow him. It's easy to become numb, to be lulled to sleep and accept a life less than what God intends. To exalt the wrong things in our lives and miss out on the full purpose of God for our lives. In Jesus, we have found something worth losing everything else for. He is abundantly worth it. And I want you to have it. I want you to live a life that matters for King Jesus. He's the only thing that can save you. He's the only thing that can bring you into a relationship with God to help you find meaning and purpose in life. To save you from eternal separation from God. 
your house, your family name, your reputation, your knowledge of the Bible cannot and will not save you. Have you misplaced your affection for Jesus? Do you want to seek Jesus as your treasure? Start by making a commitment to adore him, to choose him over everything else in your life. He is worth it. To seal this commitment today, I'd like you to turn in your Bible to Matthew 13, 44. If you're going to make a commitment to counting everything else as lost when compared with Jesus, I want you to look at this verse. Jesus is sharing about parables, and this is what he declares. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So in the margin next to this verse, if you're committing to adore Jesus today, and for as long as you have breath in your lungs, I want you to write, I have found something worth losing everything else for. We're going to close today by taking communion. If you're going to help with serving the elements this morning, and that's that you come to the front to collect the bread and the cup and begin distributing it now. You know, in a liturgical church communion, it's referred to as the Eucharist. Does anyone know what the word Eucharist means? It means thankfulness. Adoration comes out of a thankfulness for his coming, which is what we celebrated last month in December. Adoration comes out of a thankfulness for his willingness to lay down his life and make us right with God. So I want to close by expressing our thankfulness to Jesus for all he has done and all that he's going to do in our lives. For those that call CPC home and for those outside these walls. If you're here today and have not made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to do so today. Even as the communion plates are being passed, I would encourage you to ask a neighbor to pray with you. The Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We have often focused on the confessing with your mouth part, and I think that we have downplayed the believing in your heart component. If you're here, ready to make a decision to adore Jesus with your life, to count everything else as lost when compared with him, then I just encourage you, pray with someone near you today. You don't have to come just right to the front to only do that. You can do that right where you're seated. When we close, when we dismiss everyone, what I would encourage you to do is to come tell one of the pastors or, or one of the people here in the church to give you kind of what are your next steps. Now that I'm following Jesus, what do I need to do to follow after him? So reading from Matthew 26 for our communion time this morning. Matthew writes, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the mount of olives. So this is how we're going to take communion today. We're going to take the bread and drink the cup and then sing a hymn of adoration for King Jesus today. So I invite you, eat the bread, drink the cup, then stand and join us as we sing songs of praises to the one who is worthy of all of our praise.